The Axe of the Blood God. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Acts of the Blood God, US Gamers official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey, and joining me today is Elliot Gay, formerly of Destruct Toys, Japan blog, Doki, uh, Japanator, sorry, uh, but he now runs his own blog, Doki Doki Kusage. Welcome to the show, Elliot. Thanks so much for having me, Kat. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, the reason I'm having you on the show, Elliot, is today we're going to be talking about What's going on in Japan? What is the state of RPGs in Japan? What's hot? What's not? Etc. And mm. if you check out <coughs> your Twitter feed, which I'm sure we will highlight later at the end of the show, as we always do, you're talking a lot about Bravely Second. So let's jump right into that. All right. So I assume that you're a big fan of Bravely Default. Um. Yeah, you know, uh, I played through the original vanilla version of Bravely Default, so back in 2012. Um, this is way before uh, the Western version got released, which was for the sequel, with all the different additions and changes and tweaks to the game. Um, I was excited about it beforehand from when they first showed that original trailer. I think it was either E3 or TGS, uh, right around the time the 3DS was launching, because um, it just kind of reminded me a lot of old late 90s, early 2000s, Squaresoft, Square Enix. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I ended up falling in love with the game. I know there's some uh, differing of opinions when it comes to the latter portions of Bravely Default, but uh, I generally enjoyed the whole thing all the way through. Um, it was just kind of a really nostalgic but modern take on the traditional JRPG, I guess. Yeah, I I got to the end. Oh, sorry, I didn't get to the end of it. I played a few hours of Bravely Default, but... I'm I'm gonna be honest. I I didn't particularly like the the art style or the kind of the aesthetic. It reminded me of um reminded me a little of a Saturday morning cartoon show. Um, oh, okay. And also, it reminded me. You say that it reminded you of the late '90s kind of Square RPGs. Yes. It reminded me of Final Fantasy III on the Nintendo DS. Uh, the remake, which I really did not like. Ah, okay. So I'm immediately throwing cold water on this conversation <laughs> and making everybody sad. But I know it has like one of the best iterations of the job system around because it just cribs straight from basically Final Fantasy V. And I know that a lot of people just took pleasure in grinding and um, getting his, uh, building up the jobs, coming up with different combinations and that sort of thing. Does that, that sound accurate? Yeah, you know, I think, uh, it's a game that can appeal to a lot of different people for very different reasons. Um, you know, for me, I enjoyed pretty much everything about it. I really enjoyed the scenario and kind of the twists and turns it took because it was, uh, it was written by the same writer, I'm losing his name right now, who penned, um, Stein's Gate, a visual novel anime that I, I really enjoy that's kind of twisty and turning too. So it kind of plays with your expectations a lot. Um, but also I just, yeah, I really love the gameplay and the amount of freedom you had uh, in the battle system uh, and in the job system, which only got better with for the sequel. But, um, you know, I know people who couldn't care less about the story or the characters, but they just, you know, threw themselves at the job system and found ways to break the game inside out. Um, 
you know, in some ways, again, it's a lot like Final Fantasy V in that sense. Uh, some people enjoy Final Fantasy V's kind of weird, crazy scenario, and some people, you know, didn't even pay attention and skip through all the dialogue because it was just the gameplay, you know? Um, so yeah, I'd say that's pretty accurate. So, what are you thinking? So, to give me a little background on Bravely Second, or and when I say me, I mean our listening audience who may not have been following Bravely Second that closely, though that's unlikely because they're listening to this podcast. <laughs> True enough. Um, so, okay. This actually kind of has a longer history than some people might expect. Um, the producer for the series, the core producer, his name is Asano, a youngish guy at Square Enix, actually. Um, shortly after Bravely Default hit Japanese store shelves in 2012, he and uh, two of his assistant producers held a live stream on Nigo Nigo Doga, the Japanese sort of YouTube, um, and they had audience interaction. And it was like a post-mortem on Bravely Default, like the things that the audience hated, the things that they liked, the things that they want to see, the criticisms, etc. And it was basically three hours of just nonstop polls that they were asking the live audience to answer. It was very straightforward, um, kind of... Uh, uncharacteristic of Square Enix in 2012, maybe a little bit more characteristic of who they are now. Um, but also it was just designed because we wanted to make a sequel, they said, and, you know, we wanted to take your ideas and your criticisms to heart. So they kind of started working on the game, like, right off the bat there. And over the course of its development, they've had a number of live streams where they talk about, you know, things they're working on, ideas they have, etc. Um, but at the same time, you kind of got the sense that, regardless of how well the game ended up doing worldwide, they didn't exactly have a giant pool of money to pull from for Bravely Second. Um, you get the so, you impression know, that Bravely Default was, you know, that fun little project on the side that Square Enix, like, I, I'm i amazed that it even made it out in the U.S. because Square Enix, and I, I don't want to bash them too hard, but they historically have a not really understanding what they have or what they should be doing with their properties or what they should be doing with their heritage. Um, mm-hmm. So it was a pleasant surprise for it to come out. And shockingly, the word of mouth was very good over here. And it yeah. did very well. And Square Enix was like, I can't believe it. What's going on yeah. here? <laughs> people wanted a classic Final Fantasy? I Wow. What? I can't Madness. believe this. But, but nobody was buying... But nobody was buying Dragon Quest Nine, and I'm like, Shh. They, people were buying Dragon Quest Nine. You just weren't publishing it. It was Nintendo who bought it, published it. Exactly. Yeah. So, what exactly does Bravely uh, Second bring to the table? Um, is it pretty similar to Bravely Default? Like, what are the improvements? Okay, so this is kind of a weird question in a sense for me because um, the version that the West got of Bravely Default. Uh, is very different from the vanilla version of Bravely Default that we got in Japan in 2012. Uh, you guys got the updated, like, kind of director's cut. Um, in Japan, it was called For the Sequel. And what they did, when they I said For so, the Sequel... I was so confused, because... All right, so I had been aware of Bravely Default pretty much from the beginning. But yeah. I had been sure that there was a sequel, and that was the one we got. So uh, that's what it meant. By yeah. Dr- so it was a director's cut. And yeah. I was like, but wait, didn't we already have Bravely Second? But then I was like, but uh, apparently not. It's not even out in Japan yet. But I thought it was. That's odd. But okay. So there was Bravely Default, Bravely yes. the um, sequel. I guess, 
if you put it chronologically, it's less confusing than it seems, I swear. Okay. Um, the original release in 2012 in Japan was Bravely Default Flying Fairy. Okay. Yes. And then a year later, they kind of took all the criticisms they were getting from the audience. They kind of were working on the sequel and they wanted a testing bed for all the new, like, mechanics they were going to be putting in the sequel. And so they re-released Bravely Default with a lot of those systems already in place. So, like, a lot of the, the tweaks and changes and kind of ease of use stuff that people in the West played when they got Bravely Default were the additions that the staff made to try and test out things for the sequel. Hence the title for the sequel. Um, so this actually, Bravely Second actually uses a lot of those elements. Um, most of them, I'd say. Um, but I was talking to a friend and trying to, to parse out how I was, like, how I was feeling about the game. And it kind of reminds me, in a sense, of, uh, Final Fantasy X2. Not so much in terms of tone, but in terms of the way the game is structured. Um, because it takes place in the same, world as the first game. So you're traveling around the same body of land, so to speak, in the same kind of like main cities, but they've changed after the events of the first game. This takes place about two and a half years later. Uh, so a lot has changed. A lot of people have changed. Rulers have come and gone. Cities have kind of fallen and raised up. New cities have been born. Um, Gameplay-wise, I think the biggest change between Bravely Default and Bravely Second is the new chain system that's been added to the combat. Um, did you ever play The World Ends With You, Kat? I, did I ever play The en- World <laughs> Ends With You? <laughs> I know the answer to that question, but... <laughs> yes, Elliot, I did play The World Ends With You, and you wouldn't know that. Maybe not our listening audience wouldn't either, but... Um, yes, uh, it is one of my favorite RPGs, so... Yes, yes, I have played that game. That was kind of a baiting question on my end, but... <laughs> um, <laughs> no, that's perfectly fair. So, you, do you remember how in that game, uh, when you wanted to fight monsters, you can kind of, uh, you didn't, how <sighs> should I put it? You didn't just tap one monster. You could tap up to, I think, four monsters in a row mm-hmm. and kind of chain battles together mm-hmm. um, because yeah, you get no, better rewards, system. better experiences. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Um, Bravely Second has something very similar. Um, and so what happens is you'll get into a random battle and you'll be fighting the monster you kill all the monsters on the screen, and then you'll get, you know, your typical, like, you defeat the monsters menu. But at the very top, it'll say, do you want to continue fighting? And if you do, then your experience and the amount of money you get in your job points will multiply by this much. And so you click yes or no. If you click yes, you go immediately into the next battle, no saving, nothing. And if you keep doing that for a fair amount of time, it kind of depends on the encounter, because um, it's sort of random. But generally, you could string together, you know, like four or five battles in a row, and come out of it with, you know, 700 experience points, lots of money, and tons of job experience. Mm. Or you could just skip out on that entirely because you're not, like, confident in your skills. Um, so it's a really handy tool because the game already gives you a lot of options as far as combat is concerned because you can set your encounter rate to, you know, every step or not at all. Um, so, you know, if you want to fight, you can put it all the way up and just fight to your heart's content. If you literally just want to run through a dungeon without fighting a single thing, you can. And on top of that, you have this chain system, which just makes it easier to go through battles faster and kind of beef up your guys. It's really nice. It's super handy. Um, in some ways, I've kind of been spoiled because Bravely Second just has so many options. You know, the next time I play a JRPG and it doesn't let me set the encounter rate, it's like, oh, come on. Give me a break here. Yeah, no, that was definitely a thing that I liked in The World Ends With You, the ability to 
not only choose how many battles you want to fight in a row for extra experience and pins and that sort of thing, but the fact mm-hmm. that you could set the difficulty and that yeah, that was that's true too. Uh, like dynamically, it wasn't just easy, normal, hard. No, like it was like mm-hmm. a scale, and then you could like scale it all the way to the very top. And there was a certain there was a certain amount of I suppose honor or uh, bragging <laughs> rights that went with beating a particularly tough boss. Like the uh, the boss who was always speaking, uh, so Zeta Slow. I forget. Oh, oh man, I so thought Zeta like Slow. I can't remember. <sighs> My, uh, I'm sure somebody's screaming at the mic. There. Oh yeah, right I'm now. sure. Uh, it's like it's this guy. Well, I'm sorry, but I don't remember. <laughs> it's been a while. But beating him, he he was one of the tougher bosses, if I recall correctly. So like cranking mm-hmm. it up to the maximum difficulty level and beating him was kind of a badge of honor. So oh, good, it's yeah. nice to see RPGs kind of following in those footsteps t- to a degree. Definitely. I, I definitely, uh, it's it's funny. I was describing to uh, a coworker of mine um, trying to explain the different options the game gives you. And like the one thing I kept coming back to was the world ends with you. Um, because that was the last RPG I remember playing that just gave you so much freedom and how you want to approach it. You know, it's just not a common thing. Um, and it should help out, I, if I recall correctly, one of the biggest criticisms of Bravely Default was that once it gets to a certain part of the game, the latter portion, as you were referring to it, um, it gets pretty yeah. grind-heavy, am I right? Uh, you know, I when I played through that section, I've seen it described as the second half of the game or like the last quarter of the game. It took me about four or five hours to get through so I, I I feel like my experience kind of rings very differently from the experiences I've read about. But, yeah, you know, it's probably a little bit more grindy than the rest of the game. But I don't necessarily think you have to. Because uh, a lot of that grindiness comes from side quests and whether or not you want to complete them. Because um, you can skip a lot of that stuff and just go straight for the, the critical path, so to speak. And mm-hmm. you'd probably live a happier life that way. <laughs> I know I do. I hear you. <laughs> so, give me a snapshot of your experience right now in Bravely Second, because I know you've been playing it. Yes, I have about seven hours on it. came out yesterday. I hate myself for it. <laughs> wow, you already got seven hours going? Yeah, it's shameful. Dang. So, give me a snapshot. What, are your class, what classes are you rolling with, and how are you feeling about it in the first seven hours or so? Okay, so this game, uh, there are over 30 jobs in this game, first of all. Um, and I believe the new ones that were revealed, there's some hidden ones. The new ones that there were revealed, there were about seven, six or seven new ones that they publicized. Um, and so, like, the beginning of the game is front-loaded with those new jobs because they didn't want to stick you with the old familiar ones right off the bat. Uh, so right now, uh, one of my characters is a bishop. Uh, that's one of the new jobs. The other character is a fencer. Uh, my third character is a wizard. And my final character is chariot. Um, and to explain what these jobs do in a nutshell, I mean, they go much more complex than I'm about to explain, but I'm still pretty early on. Chariot is a, a damage class. It's a, kind of a DPS class. Um, and its big skill is that it allows you to equip up to, like, four swords at once. Um, so you're doing like quadruple the attacks with each turn. Uh, and depending on how you buff it, you can, you know, multiply that by who knows how much. 
Um, Fencer has different stances, which allow it to deal better damage or do better uh, defensive buffs. Wizard is kind of your typical black mage right now, but I don't know how that's going to change going forward. Similarly, uh, the bishop is kind of like your typical white mage, at least in the early game, but I think it looks like they have a ton of buffs that they can like put over their healing magic. Um, but again, I haven't leveled it up enough to know. Okay, and what is your favorite of the new classes so far? Oh, so far? That's a tough question. Uh, right now, I really like the fencer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the, the stance system is pretty cool. I only have two right now. One of them is the wolf stance and then the bison stance. Uh, the wolf stance allows you to like buff all of your offensive attacks and you can also do a pretty mean special out of it. And the bison is more of a defensive move. Um, but it just, in terms of dealing damage, it's really fast and it just looks cool. I love a good stance-based class. Ah, oh, as do I. For some reason, uh, you know, am I mixing up? I, I feel like I must be mixing it up with fighters <laughs> because I know that there are fight, certain fighting games have stance-based characters. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm sure there are stance-based classes in other games, but they're eluding me right now. Um, uh, off the top of my head, uh, I play a lot of Final Fantasy XIV, okay. uh, and monks in that game use stances. I see. Okay. Yeah. So, the story, it, it's a direct sequel to Bravely Default? Yes. Okay. So, same characters and that sort of thing? Um, two of your party members are from the last game. The other two are brand new characters. I see. And I saw that you, and it has like the town building aspects and that sort of thing. Yeah, you're building a uh, base on the moon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't because know. Because of course. <laughs> yeah. Because Final Fantasy Four. So, exactly. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. So bravely, uh, bravely second. You're really feeling it then. I'm feeling it so far. Yeah. I I have a few quibbles here and there, like having to revisit some locations that haven't changed all that much. But for the most part, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. All right. So now the real reason that I brought you on the show. Oh, boy. You played the new Super Robot Wars? A little bit, yeah. All right, what do you think? Um, I think it is an improvement over uh, Jigoken, which was the first C3 game. Mm-hmm. Um, my problems with that game were how... S- like, this one has a slow beginning, too. I feel like all recent Super Robot games, oh, Super Robot War games have yes. slow beginnings. Yes. But the last one was really bad in, in that respect. Um, you know, the first, I feel like the first ten chapters or so are dedicated to, like, this school bodyguard story. Yeah. Which is fine, because I love Full Metal Panic. It's one of my favorite series ever. But... And they specifically set up the shows to kind of be in that context. Because you also oh, absolutely, yeah. Alien and that sort of thing. Yeah. It's just, they're kind of taking from, like, the most boring part of that series. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're kind of stuck with, I don't know, a lot of really uninteresting mechs. I like Mac, I like Macross Frontier a lot, but I just I, had no interest. Macross Frontier uh, is the new Gundam seed of these games. Ah, uh, you know, that's, I, I hate to admit it. Cause they I, haven't I been, enjoyed the show when I watched it, but. Even Gundam Seed Destiny has been getting improvements compared to Macross Frontier. Like, uh, Macross yeah. Frontier, like, has not changed much at all since C2. I think part of that, too, is because Macross has kind of been running in place for, the I feel like, almost the last decade now, because that show came out in 2007, I think. Hmm. So there's been no real new content to pull from at all. 
So I'm playing uh, Jigoku Hen or Ken. I forget. Uh, Hen. Hen. I'm playing Jigoku Hen right now. Um, I'm in Mission 56. Okay. I managed to unlock, like, the side path. I So, like, I'm getting pretty close to finishing that one. And, you know, there are times when I really like it. Um, I yeah. really like the show selection in this one. I love Full, pa- full Metal Panic. Um, I like having Endless Waltz back, even if I really wish that they'd picked a, a different background music for it than yeah. the one that they picked for uh, Goku Hen. Um, they, if you're going to do Endless Waltz, you have to do the... You don't do White Reflection. I, I forget. Gosh. Oh, what's it called? Yeah. There's a particular yeah. song that you need to play, and it's I know exactly what one. you're talking about, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, I really like that they took the Zeta Gundam like models and dramatically improved them. Like Zeta Gundam looks so much better. Yes. Um I always like some Bodums, so they're in my mm. party. Um I love having Gunbuster back. That's great. Oh, yeah. So so when I look at this like list of games, I'm like, yeah, you know, like it's a strong cast. They've done a really good job of revamping um certain units that I really like to use, but it's dragging at the end. And I'm like sitting here going, why is it dragging so much toward the end? And I think some of it is that the stories kind of run out of momentum in a bit, a bit. Mm-hmm. And always at the end of Super Robot Wars, you get these really long missions where you're yeah. fighting these really strong enemies. Um, Just go on. You'll like, on. you'll destroy an entire map's worth of enemies and throw like a lot of your points into killing a big powerful boss and then at the end of that mission um like a new boss appears and like he brings like his mooks and i'm like oh for god's sake more (laughs) jeez i I think the worst part of those battles is when you get rid of the big guy and and whether or not those you know scrubby guys end up disappearing with him or not Mm -hmm. because then you have to do clean up and that's just i spent a fair amount of time so, like, my guys are all pretty strong, but I still have to, uh, you, you still have to kind of hold back a little bit just in case. Definitely. Um, like, you kind of want to hold back on your best attacks. Though, in this one, in Jigoku Hen, there are different items that will let you recharge your spirit points. So, you can, yes. so you can, you can still kind of use your, like, best attacks pretty liberally actually um like mazinger like my mazinger has like 450 energy mm-hmm. <laughs> so like yeah, it's kind i can of pack, i can kind of spam his attacks and then also i've attached the like the spirit point regeneration so i can just keep using his his hot blooded attacks to like super buff his damage and just go to town on bad guys so and plus i've got uh, the Gundams in this one, especially the, the Gundam Wing and the, the Freedom Gundam, can just clear so much of the map. Um, yeah, they have some big moves that do. Like, heavy I can damage. take out a half dozen enemies just at once. <laughs> now, I will give this to Jigoku Hen. They finally nailed the squad system. I, I agree with that as well. Um, go, so you go back to Alpha 3, right? So, 
So no, they introduced the squad system, I think, in Alpha 2. Um, and it's always been kind of problematic for the series because it just, in, it, it lets you use lesser units that you wouldn't normally use in a single game. Mm-hmm. But it also kind of means that certain units are going to automatically be designed to be backup units. Yeah, so support maybe, units, so to speak. So your favorite character might just be a backup unit, not really viable in combat, which is kind of a drag. And then also there's the fact that it hurt, it's always kind of hurt the pace. So you'll be fighting enemies that are also in squads, and it's like, oh god, so I have to use a group attack to take out like four guys at once, and if I don't kill them all at once, then I have to mop them up the next time. So that inherently just kind of hurts the pacing and makes it slower. Mm-hmm. So in Jigokuhen, they introduced this thing called the maximum break system. And in the maximum break system, after you build up a certain number of points, you can either do a tag command or you can do a maximum break. And so a tag command will let you basically move twice contingent on you being able to kill an enemy. Like, if you can't kill him, then you can't keep going. Um, which is great. That helps the pace a lot because then you can just start getting a, a, a good combo going. <clears throat> And then there's also the maximum break system, maximum breaks, where if you use a maximum break, you can't do a combo, but you can use the best attack for both units in your party. Yes. Which is kind of awesome because it gives you a good reason to pair up, say, so I've got the main original series unit who, Hibiki, yep. paired up with, um, the Bigo. And when I use a maximum break, those two can just do an insane amount of damage <laughs> against an enemy. It's really great. So that addition, in my mind, is really smart. And I think having just two rather than three, like pairing up two units rather mm-hmm. than having like a group of three, is a, a much better approach to things overall. But... That's it. The pace is still a tiny bit slower just by virtue of the fact that you sometimes find yourself having to kill essentially the same enemy twice. Yeah, you know, I think my, my biggest issue with, I guess, the latter Z games in general is sort of the need to break them up into two in the first place. Uh, um, you know, okay. Just, yeah. That's, it feels like they're double dipping, but they're not really because they are, it's not like, you're paying full price for two 30-mission games. They're oh, not at all, yeah. games, and each one has their own story. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. I don't think they're double... Like, I don't feel like I'm I'm kind of getting the money ripped out of my wallet unfairly or anything like that. Just that I... Like, I appreciate two games in the sense that, yeah, more Super Robot Wars, but at the same time, I almost feel like they could benefit from going back to, like, a single game that's maybe... Large, but not quite as large as 2Z games, almost. Yeah, the problem it, with Z2... the pacing suffers. The problem with Z2 was that a lot of the best attacks, like, a lot of the original units lost their best attacks and didn't get them back until Z2-2. Yeah, that is a mouthful. <laughs> yeah, Z2-2. I, I, I can't remember. Is it Saisei Hen? I think that's yeah, what it is. Yeah, Saisei Hen, and oh, I don't know what the other one is. Yeah, Saisei Hen, they get all of their... Like, I love Saisei Hen. That was great. Yeah, and it's very good. It brought back all of the original units from Z, which Z had the best original units in the entire Z series. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it had all of the best music. It had all of the best attacks. Um, it moved at a snappy pace. I'm like, yeah, no, I'm really feeling this. Man, I don't even want to play the the one that came before it. And then it was almost like back to square one with Jigoku Hen. So, yeah. But you know, I I still like it. But God, it's I I feel like I'm dragging to the finish, and now I'm kind of almost eyeing um this new one that just came out, Tengoku Hen. Yes. <laughs> with with a bit of dread. <laughs> I feel like that's that's like my feelings going into every Super Robot Wars games. Like a little bit of anticipation and a little bit of dread, just because I know how long the road is going to be. Um, that being said, again, I haven't really, I haven't played enough of it to form uh, a super detailed opinion of it. But uh, one of the first things that struck me was that uh, a lot of the overall animation uh, and even just the, the sprite work itself has improved a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, one problem I had with Jigoku Hen was that it's very clear that some mechs some series got better treatment than others um in fact like the biggest example of that was pretty early on with full metal panic man those those mechs and their animation not fantastic like i uh, full metal i think like those are hard mechs to do in some ways because they're not really that i think the lead character um and his mech look great (laughs) yeah i agree with that i think the only one you want to (laughs) use True. I think part of the problem too is that like the early portions of Full Metal Panic don't have particularly interesting mechs. No. Um, whereas the sequel, for the first time, actually is pulling from stuff that never got adapted into anime form. So pulling from the books that finished a long time ago. Um, so you have crazy new mechs, and you're finally diving into like Full Metal Panic crazy stories. Um, yeah, like but the main ch- character's mech is one of the weakest at the beginning. It's not yeah, good. It's, it's a bummer. But by the end, um, that's one of the strongest, so... Yeah, I'll give it that. Um, but yeah, a lot of the animation is with a lot of visual flourishes, uh, like explosions and stuff, have been kind of reworked in the sequel. Um, yeah, you know, from what I played, I'm looking forward to diving in more, but I still can't help but get the nagging feeling in the back of my head. Like, I kind of wish that Ben Dynamco would sort of take a step back and kind of look at what they were doing with the OG games and even go back to, like, the original Z game on, on PS2 and kind of, you know, it's kind of going a little bit of a tangent, but I miss the full portraits a lot. I miss um, the full portraits and I miss the isometric view. Yeah, you know, I feel like, especially because they're not on the PSP anymore, now it's PS3 Vita, like, they can go back to doing... A lot of the stuff they were before, but they're, they're not, not yet. Because it's cheaper to do the little freaking head icons. Yeah, it's, it bums me out. Like are these you games on the have Vita really. Or are you playing on the PS3? I'm playing on the Vita because with games like these, I just they can't hold my attention on a TV. I don't know what it is these days. I, I pl- I've played them on the Vita recently, mm-hmm. but I have switched to the PS3 for the final one because, and you know, I'm not regretting my decision because okay. because. It looks really good in 1080p. Yeah, I, I, I imagine, yeah. I was like, whoa! And I don't know, like, something about spending 60 to 70 hours staring at my tiny Vita screen. <laughs> yeah. See, that's that's actually the opposite problem I have with, like, the TV is when it comes to strategy RPGs, at least, because I tend to pick them up and put them down mm. in kind of reckless abandon, like in the middle of missions and stuff, mm. pretty often, um, especially living here. 
If only you so, were on the PS4 so I could just go into rent rest mode. That'd be nice. Ah, see, now, now that, that would actually change things significantly. Yeah. But yeah, I, I just wish they would go back to putting a little bit more visual flourish into their stories because these, these games have exciting narratives. Like, sure, yeah. Like, I think that's a, a kind of thing that gets overlooked a lot, but like, part of the reason feel that people play these and buy these every single time is because they want to experience their favorite mech anime's story in a new way. They want to see what the mm. next crazy story is going to be about. And it does it and a disservice. And did that to perfection, right? Yeah, it's fantastic. The original and Z, I would say, is probably the best I've ever played in the series. I I would agree with that. I would say Z and, for me, the most recent uh, OG on PS3 are kind of up there for me. You know, uh, I got OG sports. for the PS3, and I've played a few missions, and just those few missions, I was like, wow, this is really good. Like, I am really <laughs> digging this. And then I put it aside because it's, I ran out of It time. is fantastic. It is gorgeous as well. Um, you could tell they put all of their animating muscle into it. Um, but yeah, I just, you know, you know I don't know, I'm reason, you know, waxing another poetic. Weakness, another <laughs> weakness of Z2 and Z3 right now. Oh, bad Bad OG units. Yeah. I, I, oh god. I don't yeah. care about Tibiki and his unit and his mech sucks. I don't know what they were thinking either with like the dynamic between oh Hibiki and his teacher pilot the mech isn't that fun? Yeah. Not fun. I I don't care. Um, the unit is really generic. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make real robot fans very happy because it's kind of boring looking. It doesn't do anything interesting. And it doesn't make super robot fans happy nope. by becoming real big by nope. going into its demon mode or whatever because it's not that strong. It doesn't look that good. Uh, it's not that crazy and over the top. So, so. Especially I, compared to OG units in the past, it's, it's a total flop. It is easily the most boring unit I've used in an, in any Super Robot Wars game in quite a while. Uh, it's depressing. <laughs> and, uh, I just, I, I really miss, was it Rand and Setsuko? What the heck? Uh, yeah, I believe so, yeah, Setsuko. Wow, did I get that right? Dang, go me. So. I'm on a roll today. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I really miss them because you have Rand with his crazy construction robot, which was <laughs> so awesome. ridiculous looking. And even though it doesn't get a true upgrade, oh, its attacks are so over the top and so much fun. And it has a great theme. And the two characters are a lot of fun. Um, I don't usually like super robots, but I took his story path in Z. And I love pretty much every second of it. And Setsuko, even though her mech is ultimately pretty lame, like her story is great. So I like mm-hmm. her and I want to keep following her. Um, hope. But they split their stories into DLC, right? Um, yeah, it's, it's kind of... I, I didn't play it, but it come, if you get the game early, if I remember correctly, um, you get like a separate campaign, like a mini campaign, mm-hmm. which only follows the OG characters and their like, suits. Um, if anything, it kind of made me long for another OG-only game. But yeah, you follow a bunch of different protagonists from the series' history and stuff. and It, was, it seems like it's pretty cool. I've heard good things about it, but I haven't actually played it myself. All right, so you got 30 seconds to pitch me on Reconquista. Reconquista? I don't, I don't even know. How uh, yeah, it's Reconquista, I believe, yes. I don't even know how to pronounce that damn thing. Reconquista and G. Go. Okay. Oh, God. Uh, okay, so it takes place post-Universal Century. 
Uh, it's Tomino, so the original creator of Gundam. This is Gundam, it's very, by the way. Yes, this is Gundam. Uh, it is a very weird show. It is not. It is weirder than Turn A Gundam, and probably not as focused. But it tackles some very interesting themes about war. Uh, it has a main character that isn't awful. Um, a lot of the mech designs are really fabulous. Uh, early combat isn't so great, but the second half of the series has some really wonderful uh, mech battles. Uh, the series, you know, I'm not sure, I'm not totally sure it makes sense, but it does have some interesting links between Universal Century and Turning Gundam, which is kind of the end point of the timeline. Um, I don't know, it's very unique in a lot of ways. It has a beautiful score, too. Um, and I think as far as like a mainline Gundam series goes, it's not, it's nowhere near as good as Turn A Gundam. Turn A Gundam is my favorite with G Gundam coming in a close second, but, um, what can beat Turn A Gundam? Not much. But in some ways, like at its best, it captures similar moments and at its worst, it's just Tomino being weird. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's, (laughs) it's worth like 90 at this point, right? He's, he's very old. He's very old and very angry. I can't believe he's still making shows. That's crazy. Yeah. I guess he's just, you know, when you, when you're that kind of creative force, you just need, you just get itchy. Yeah, you just get itchy and you persist forever. For people who don't know, Tomino is basically the George Lucas of Japan. Except, yeah, unlike, except unlike Lucas, Tomino arguably got better as he got mm-hmm. older. I, I agree with that. Original Gundam is uh it's it's a thing. <laughs> I no, I I love it. I love it for what it is, but yeah. The original Gundam was great. Um, provided you watch the movie trilogy. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> okay. So we'll leave that aside. I feel like <laughs> I have totally Trojan horsed a, a giant mecha conversation. And what people thought was like the, the people are like, oh, Bravely Second, I can totally listen to that. What is all of this mecha conversation? Help me. There are mechs in Bravely Second. No, I'm making that up. What? <laughs> Shit, game of the year, right now. <laughs> God, I'm I am cursing way too much. I'm gonna get an explicit rating on this episode. Um, <laughs> tell me, what are people playing in Japan right now? Oh God, what are people playing in Japan right now? Uh, that is a good question. A lot of yokai watch still. Uh, um, yokai watch. You know, they just announced that for over here, and people are like, "What is this thing?" It, that's gonna be interesting to watch happen. Um, you know, I wish level five the best of luck in the world because they put a lot of work in that franchise. Give me, um, give me perspective on it. Okay, so before you give perspective on it, I'm gonna interrupt you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was. I have this little app called Time Hop. Okay. And you go through it, and it shows you tweets from, like, a year ago, two years ago, three years ago, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I think it was, like, two years ago that I tweeted about Yokai Watch. And I was like, oh, Level 5 just announced this thing called Yokai Watch. And yes. it looks like it does a lot of the things that, like, I wish Pokemon would do. Mm-hmm. Um, is it fair to say that it does? You know, it's... I'm conflicted. Uh, Yokai Watch gets compared to Pokemon a lot, and I see why. They're, they're very similar elements in, in the whole collecting monsters and fighting them thing, but in some ways the fighting in Yokai Watch is kind of treated like an afterthought, mm-hmm. um, because it's so automated and basic. I mean, characters just keep attacking no matter what you do. Um, so it's up to you to just kind of switch them or trigger their special attacks. Otherwise, they just keep attacking. So it really um, is kitty. 
it's very it's very kitty in that sense. Mm. And I think the part that appeals to adults or parents or whoever's buying these games for the kids is that it very much so uh plays with your nostalgia for childhood, um and just like old, old past show of life in Japan in a way. Uh, I picked up the game pretty recently just because I wanted to finally see what this was all about, and the original game's pretty cheap now. Uh, and I played a couple hours, and it's very, very easy. But at the same time, there's kind of an excruciating level of detail put into everything. You know, um, the house that you live in is a two-story house, and on the second floor, you have your parents' room, which has two beds and a lamp and a TV, and then you have your room. And then when you go downstairs, you have the living room, the kitchen, a bathroom, and then a shower room. And then the area where you take off your shoes before you come in. And, you know, most RPGs have houses, but oftentimes the house is kind of like, there are beds in the living room and there's no bathroom. And how do these people live? But, you know, level five went through kind of painstaking efforts to make sure that this was a functional house. And when you leave the house, your shoes disappear from the shoe area because you put them on. And when you run back in, they appear there again. You took them off before going in the house. Mm-hmm. Um, they, you know, made a city that's very, familiar to the average Japanese person with, you know, convenient, convenience stores everywhere and, you know, little playgrounds and little areas and, you know, that place where you go to buy candy from the old lady. Um, it's more concerned with mixing reality and the fantastical together versus Pokemon, which I think is very, very focused on the combat elements and like the collecting elements together as one thing. Um, Yokai Watch doesn't really seem to care so much about the fighting part. So it's immersing you in this world with monsters. Yes. You know, it's it's about, oh, wow, you looked underneath that car and there's a monster there. Like, isn't that surprising? That's kind of the the basics of it, I think. I'm actually kind of legitimately disappointed. <laughs> Just because it is not a competitive game at all. I think that's what's kept me playing Pokemon over the years. And I know people are apt to disagree with me, but... The fact that there's so much going on under the hood in that game, especially once mm. you finish the actual game. Like, the actual game, I could care less about the actual single-player. I couldn't care less about the actual single-player adventure at this point because I've played a similar iteration of it at yeah. so many times. So it's like a 10-hour... It's a 10-hour tutorial. But mm-hmm. um, the metagame is so interesting, and... It's so diverse and so big at this point that I, it does make me like it. I do keep paying attention to it just because, and because of course, a lot of those monsters are so iconic. Um, I could see Yokai Watch coming over here and becoming a thing, Mm -hmm. especially since, as you said, there is a excruciating level of detail, but. Yeah. I don't know. Like, what, what about, why is it grabbed Japan so much? You know, again, I think it, 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 in, in the sense that like Pokemon kind of riffs on like a lot of basic elements of Japanese culture and like Shintoism and, and yokai and stuff. Yokai Watch just kind of goes at it head on. You know, it doesn't really yeah. make the pretense that it's, oh, this is like inspired by this. No, this is what this is. Um, so I think, the immediate thing that grabbed people is that it was just immediately familiar. Like, I know what yokai are. Like, oh, so the idea is that yokai are behind the scenes of the call, the little, like, mischief that happens in the world. Okay, that's kind of cool. And then, you know, the yokai themselves are, you know, very well designed. A lot of them are based on puns, so that it's pretty funny. Um, 
I think it, the thing that happens is it grabs little kids first, and then it grabs the parents who are watching with their kids or playing with their kids, or the brother or sister who are playing with their little brother and sister, and it just kind of keeps growing from there. Um, and, you know, you have a collectability element in terms of how many yokai there are and the toys that come with it. Um, you know, level five at this point are kind of masters of like that cross media project kind of thing. So, you know, you can be sure that there'll be medals of all your favorite yokai and you can only collect them at these stores and at this time. And, you know, I'll go to a store on the day of like a big game release and at the same time I'll see a line coming out of the store. And I'm like, oh, is everybody lined up for the game? No, we're lined up for yokai watch medals that we're going to buy and put in the little plastic watch. Like, mm. so, you know, they're, they're less focused on just the game alone as an experience. Uh, that being said, there are things about yokai watch that make me really sad when I look at Pokemon. Um, just because, you know, there are hundreds of yokai in the game, uh, probably way more now in the sequel. And they are so painstakingly modeled and beautiful. And animated so well. The whole game is just gorgeous to look at. Like, and it, it kind of makes me sad when I look at the recent 3D Pokemon games that Game Freak hasn't quite gotten to that level yet. Um, I actually had this problem pretty recently. I've been playing Digimon Story Cyber Sleuth on the Vita. Okay. Uh, developed by, uh, Media Vision. So Wild Arms, those old games. Um, and it's really, it's fabulous. And there's some, you know, 200 plus Digimon in the game. And they're all like really, really beautiful and really well animated. And I, I just keep, I can't help but make the comparison and think to myself, ah, what if Pokemon finally got to this level? That'd be nice. That happened to me when I was playing Dragon Quest Monsters Joker 2. A while oh, ago. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like sitting here going, God, I wish Pokemon were like this, you know, where you're <sighs> running around this world and you see like, the monsters all over the place doing things, kind of like in Pokemon Snap, rather than mm-hmm. just... Uh, but they're never going to change, because... No. I, they don't they are, need to. They don't They don't need to right Yet. now. Um, yeah, yeah, now that I think about it. <laughs> um, I don't know, maybe Yokai Watch is eating their lunch a little bit, but... The biggest, the biggest thing that happened in Japan last year was that they... McDonald's... Instead of selling their yearly Pokemon calendar like they've been doing forever, they didn't sell a Pokemon calendar. They replaced it with a Yokai Watch calendar. And that, you know, blew everybody's minds. Dang. You know? so yeah, everybody would say, wait, there's no Pokemon calendar? What is this? Yokai Watch? Like, is that popular? And, you know, you look at the numbers and they speak for themselves. It's well, it didn't nuts. help that this last year's version was a remake. Yeah, you know, I, I had a lot of, uh, <laughs> I had a lot of, like, like, old students asking me about that. Oh, Elliot, did you play this game when you were a little kid? Yeah, yeah, I did. I did not play it when I was ago. a little kid. I was in college, but... <laughs> um, Alright, so anything else that Japan's playing right now? Um, That Japan's playing right now? You know, not a whole lot. The console space has sort of been suffering uh, quite a bit. What else um, is Yeah. PlayStation um, are, like, non-existent, right? Yeah, at this point. I mean, you know, it's doing it's doing better than it started, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, Japan kind of made their big push at the system in the last couple of months with, you know, Dragon Quest Heroes and Final Fantasy Type-0 and all those games. And, you know, uh, Dragon Quest Heroes sold the best out of the bunch by a long shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, so much so that they announced the sequel, like, a month later, which is kind of crazy, but hey. Um, yeah, you know... People aren't really biting on it yet. We'll see what happens, though. I mean, Japanese developers are still making stuff for it. Um, really, the only 
like systems that things come out on. 3DS gets you know plenty of stuff. Vita gets more love than you'd expect these days. Um, you know, I mentioned it briefly, but Digimon uh, Story Cyber Sleuth sold like pretty surprisingly well, and then it had really great word of mouth, so it kept selling. And it's at a point right now where uh, the stock is really low, so the company's struggling to get more units out there for people to buy because um, it just turned out to be this surprise hit. Um, I'm surprised that the Vita is still kind of hanging on because, I mean, once Monster Hunter moved over to 3DS, it was kind of like, you know, they anointed the the new dominant. <laughs> Not that DS did poorly in Japan, but... Yeah. Monster Hunter drove PSP in Japan for, like, years. You know, Monster Hunter's success on PSP drove the PSP to sell well, which drove the other developers to go jump on in with their big titles. Um, and that's, you know, not a thing that ended up happening with the Vita. But that being said, and, you know, this isn't happening anywhere else in the world, mind you, but, you know, 3DS will get tops every single week, and then second place will be the Vita, and then everything else after that. Um, these are kind of the two systems that it's still viable to make things on. I mean, heck, they released a Sword Art Online game based on the anime for Vita and PS3, uh, developed by the same studio that makes all the Macross games, I believe. And, you know, it ended up selling some 150,000 copies on Vita alone. So, I mean, it's, it's a viable system to make games for, um, which isn't really the case anywhere else in the world. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, people who really like the Vita constantly point to its run of middling to decent RPGs um, as great content. Um, it's 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 weird. It's a Tales weird of system. Hearts came out last year. Like, you know, Amer- America, the West has been getting like a decent amount of the stuff that it, it gets here, but it's still not really like it's not the cream of the crop, a and b like a lot of it's actually the opposite end of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, stuff like Criminal Girls, etc. Um, so in that sense, I think, like, Vita has a much better reputation here amongst the average Joe yeah, than it does. especially out on the Moe girl crowd. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> hey, that's what happens. Um, so, I mean, you know, I I think that this system kind of supplanted itself or placed itself as, you know, it gets the multi-platform stuff. Mm-hmm. And in Japan, multi-platform means basically just Vita because they're not really going to buy it anywhere else. They'll buy it on the PS3, but yeah. outside of that, you know. Like, Dragon Quest Heroes 2 is coming to PS4, PS3, and Vita, and I, I'm i willing to bet a little bit of money, at least, that it'll either sell the best on the PS3 or the Vita. Um, and if not, then all three will be very close. Will um, Persona 5 drive PS... Uh, it's going to be sold all, entirely on PS3, right? I mean, I know it's coming out on PS4, but everybody's just going to buy it on PS3. You know, I... Recently, like, multi-platform stuff has been doing a little bit better in terms of the split. So it's hard to say by the time Persona 5 comes out what will happen, but it probably won't sell the most on the PS4 now. Oh, okay. um, it definitely won't sell the most on the PS4 in Japan. Yeah. Will, uh, I mean, what, won't, I don't think it'll be awful, mind you, because, again, a lot of these other, like, mixes haven't been that case. Like, Dragon Quest Heroes is, like, the big one that people can point to because that's the one that people are actually interested in. And, like, that was a really even split between PS4 and PS3, and it did really well for itself just in general. Um, so if a franchise that big like Dragon Quest can get like a 50-50-ish split uh, on a console that has a really low um, 
a really low total sales number here. Um, it's kind of hard to say. Like, it, I don't think it'll do absolutely awful numbers on the PS4. But this is me armchair talking about sales. So <laughs> the armchair salesperson. Oh yeah, um, I admit to it. <laughs> and what are you looking forward to? What am I looking forward to right now? Uh, well, next week is Xenoblade X. Oh right, um, yes, I am writing a preview of that today. Yeah, I just got a chance to play it the other day. Oh, I'm jealous. Um, yeah, it looks all right. <laughs> um, it's you know, pretty... I really like I really like Xenoblade Chronicles. Uh, I don't particularly think that's Takahashi and or his wife's best game. I don't um, think so either. I actually prefer when he's more, when they're more out there. I was kind of going out a little bit of a rant on Twitter the other day about this that, you know, I know Xenosaga is like totally mixed mm. depending on who you talk to. Uh, you know, I think the second game is awful, but I love the first and the third game a lot. Um, but I kind of prefer when these sort of games just go totally off the rails and just embrace it. You know, they just go all in on the craziness versus being kind of muted and, and dull. Um, I don't think Xenoblade was that necessarily because I, I liked it a lot, but I kind of missed the crazy religious flourishes that their games tend to have. I'm kind of worried this one, Xenoblade X, won't. Um, but outside of that, in terms of RPGs, you know, right now, Bravely Second was kind of the big one on my calendar, so I'm, I'm just sort of all focused on that. I probably won't even get around to Xenoblade next week, realistically. Gay, where can people send hate mail for you ragging on criminal girls earlier? <laughs> uh, people can send hate mail. I'm on Twitter. Uh, at Ryoga Saotome. I'll spell that because, yeah. R-Y-O-U-G-A-S-A-O-T-O-M-E. Um, and, yeah, I also have a uh, import game site called Doki Doki Kusogei.moe because I want it to be as ironic as possible. Um, which I update daily, and I have weekly features and stuff like that, so check it out if you're interested. And you can find me at the underscore catbot, and of course, all of our RPG content, including a gateway guide to Super Robot Wars, if you have no idea what the heck we were talking about for half the show. <laughs> I'm at, so sorry. <laughs> over at usgamer.net. And if you like this podcast, why don't you go on iTunes and rate it and leave a review? Because the more ratings and reviews that we have, the more visible we have, um, the more visible we are. And the more likely we are to spread the gospel that is RPGs. So go ahead and do that. So next time, um, well, this coming week, I'm taking a break. I'm not going to be doing an episode this coming week. I'm sorry. I will actually be working on my cover story. But the week after that, we got a really sweet and pretty long interview in the can with David Brevik, who worked on... Diablo back in the day, and he has some good stories, so please look forward to that. Until then, Elliot Gay, thanks for joining me. I've been Cap Bailey, and happy adventuring. Bye.